Well, I used to start my sermons by saying I'm one of the pastors of Mill City Church, but today, for the first time, I want to say I'm the co-lead pastor of North City Church. This is a very exciting day, uh, very exciting for all of us. Um, Bittersweet, though, uh, we're feeling all the feels, as we say. This is a mix of of excitement uh, for what God's doing next through North City and uh, through Mill City and a grief and a sense of loss of what has been. But this is what's necessary to move forward and to respond to what God's asking us as people who follow him uh, to do and uh, to step into. So it's, it's very exciting. Maybe if you uh, came in today, this is one of your first times, you're like, whoa, I didn't know I'd be a part of the sending service. I don't know anything about North City Church. Uh, the train is not leaving the building today. There's lots of op- opportunities to, to figure out what North City is all about. We're a church that's uh, planting uh, starting tomorrow in uh, northwest uh, Minneapolis. Uh, our mission is to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus. Uh, so if you want to hear more, I, I got a couple things coming up for North City. Also for you Mill City people to know, uh, if you still want to check things out or if you want to just help us spread the word about what we're doing, two things happening in April. We have an info night April 14th over in that part of Minneapolis. Uh, tell your friends about it. You can follow us on social media and find out all the info uh, at North City Church on Facebook and North City Church on Instagram. And our website is North City mpls.com. Also want to extend an invitation to join us for our first worship service. Our regular worship services don't start until July, but we're having a special Easter service at 6 p.m. at Brookdale Covenant is hosting us uh, just in the Brooklyn Center there on the edge of Minneapolis. So come join us for those things if you're interested. It's an exciting time for us. There's a lot going on, even even though we don't have services, so a lot to plug into. Before I get going with our sermon today, let's pray and welcome God into this moment in our history as a church and churches and uh, this time as we approach the scripture together. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's been 10 years that we've been gathering in this space, um, in this school that originally extended hospitality to a church called Mill City Church. And now we stand here today ascending another church and are amazed at what you can do, even just in the 10 years in being here, God. We pray that you would bless the teachers, the administration, as they continue their really good work of of teaching the students of this city. God, we love you. We approach your presence anticipating grace, God. Uh, We come maybe uh, with things that are burdening us down or barriers to listening to your voice this morning. Uh, We just practice now in this moment, uh, laying those down. And with open hands, we wait to receive anything that you have to say to us uh, through, through, through my words or through uh, the text, God, uh, that you've put on our hearts to look at. Jesus, we love you as our leader. We trust you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you were sitting by me in community time, if I was sitting next to you and uh, I was able to tell you one thing that I've come to like about my family. Uh, It's the awkwardness that they sometimes create in my life. I've actually come to appreciate this. I didn't initially, obviously, and maybe you Mill students who are sitting here, like you feel like it's your parents' full-time job to make your life awkward. And I just want to say I've been there. I've been in that space. And now I understand why. 
It's because it's payback for all the times we as little people, toddlers, create awkwardness in their life. So it's coming full circle. And I know this because I parent a toddler now, and there's lots of awkwardness. Let me give you one example. So her name is Rosie, our daughter. We love her uh, dearly. And this last year uh, in our house has been a year of pregnancy. So uh, our son Daniel was born in July, but mommy's tummy was growing as Daniel was coming. And uh, we were trying to explain this to Rosie because the new one was on the way, and we explained how there's a baby in mommy's tummy. Well, she caught on to this and hasn't quite let it go yet. So in social situations, she loves to introduce herself to people when she's feeling comfortable. And she's got a great first question. After they exchange names and stuff, she's like, have a doggy? Which is great. That's a great question. Do you have a dog? Cat lovers sometimes are offended, but it's okay. It's socially acceptable. But then the next question is super awkward. She points at people's tummies sometimes and says, have a baby? And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, want to stop it before it comes out of her mouth? And then the awkwardness sometimes becomes painful when she directs the question at me. I'm like, no, no, no. Daddy just hasn't been to the gym in a while, okay? It's not, it's not. Family is this term that's uh, full of joy uh, for some of us, full of happiness, but can also be full of pain. It's a lot of mixed emotions. As I've been entering into parenting, which is a different season of family, uh, I talk about how there's highs and there's lows, and sometimes they can't come within the same minute. And sitting here, maybe getting that question during community time, you you kind of maybe internally rolled your eyes a little bit because there's, there's pain when we refer to family. Or in a church context, the, 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 the traditional view of family, spouse, two and a half kids sort of deal gets elevated and idolized and you feel left out from that conversation. There's all sorts of brokenness that surrounds the idea of family. And today we want to just talk about how God makes peace in the midst of that brokenness. Because what I think is really crucial We've been having this conversation during this season of Lent where we've been talking about how uh, in this sermon series, we're talking about letting go, and letting go of worry and anxiety to step into God's peace. And when we talk about letting go of worry and anxiety, we, we, we have to talk about the worry and anxiety that family sometimes creates in our life. And I, I don't think that the church is off the hook with this worrying anxiety sometimes. As I referenced earlier, sometimes we have a habit or a bad habit of idolizing uh, maybe a traditional view of what family is as once you ha have a spouse, once you have kids, you've arrived as a Christian. And I, right off the bat, I just want to say that that's wrong. That's not true. And I want to dispel that right away. And we've actually perpetuated the problem of barriers and worry and anxiety when we talk in that way. Also, in this Minnesota culture, it's worth pointing out that we really value nuclear family. We really value extended family, but sometimes to the extent where we don't have the capacity to welcome others into our life. I don't know if you've ever been in a new place, in a new city. I've experienced this in Minneapolis because my immediate family doesn't live around here. You kind of have experienced maybe a little bit of the cold shoulder or the protectiveness of nuclear family. We need to name that that's a barrier for us to participate in God's mission. It's a barrier for us to participate in entering into God's peace and joining in his peacemaking. So this morning, what I want to ask or approach is if we experience worry and anxiety, especially in terms of our experience of family, 
what is God's response to that? What is God's response to the barriers that exist in our life? And to get at this question, since it's Intergenerational Sunday a little bit, I want to return to Ephesians 2. This is the text we've been in in the sermon series where it's, talk, where it's talking about the peace that Christ makes. And I want to go to the end of chapter 2, 19 through 22. So if you want to turn in your Bible there. Before we get there, I just want to give you a brief overview of some things that have already been discussed about the peace that God makes. And I really encourage you, there's been some excellent sermons uh, preached so far in this series, so go back and listen to those. We've explored ideas and truths like that peace is costly, that it cost Jesus something to create peace, and he didn't do it through force and aggression, but through suffering. And we liked to distinguish the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. We like the idea of peacekeeping, but what God's up to is peacemaking. And the difference is that conflict and peace sometimes go together. That peace isn't the absence of conflict, but it's how we enter into conflict and make peace in the midst of it. We talked about the practice of confession in the church and how it's so important. When we say that word, we're like, ooh, what in the world does that mean? But simply what we mean by that is creating space in our lives of safety and trust where we can speak what's really true, what's really going on in our life, so we can practice receiving God's grace in our lives. And Stephanie last week talked about how this work of peacemaking that God is up to extends to knock down the barriers that divide us between people culturally, ethnically, even racially in our lives. So this is all important because not only have we all discussed that, but this, uh, this particular text we're going to look at is a sort of conclusion to this whole uh, pericope is the technical term, but this whole paragraph about what Jesus uh, or what Paul is talking about Jesus has accomplished. So let's jump in and, and look at this as kind of like the last statement, the conclusion of what he's been talking about. In chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners, and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is is joined together and raised to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Just two or three short verses there. And I think when Paul was writing in his day, he didn't take a lot of English classes, so he didn't get the memo about mixing metaphors because there's like 10 metaphors in these two scriptures. So I want to just unpack this for you a little bit. He, he throws out the metaphor of stranger or foreigner. He throws out the metaphor of citizen of household, of a temple being built up. And you're like, whoa, Paul, what's going on here? One at a time. So let me break it down a little bit for you. Partially why he's talking about uh, uh, strangers or foreigners is that specifically the context he's speaking into, there's ethnic uh, diversity amongst the context he's going to. Ephesians is one of the most circulated letters of Paul in the early church, we think. That means it, it traveled to the most early churches among any other book that Paul wrote. And, and I think it did because it speaks to what it means to be a church full of diversity and celebrate that 
in our midst. So he's talking about real foreigners, but he's also talking about it as a metaphor, how we were distant from and foreign to a relationship in God's family and how through the great compassion and love of Jesus, he moved towards us and brought us near into relationship with him. And then he uses this metaphor of citizen, a citizen in God's kingdom. And this reality isn't talking about assimilation or conformity to a a nation that already existed. Elsewhere in Paul's writings, he talks about a new humanity that Jesus set forth and is, is creating, something new. So this is a term about transformation, about making something new together. And I think a great way to reference this instead of citizens, because that's sort of a distant term, we think about this as neighbors. In in John 1, it talks about how Jesus became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus' love towards us, his peacemaking involves treating us, us foreigners and strangers as neighbors. And then it goes further than that. He says, not only your neighbors and citizens in God's kingdom, you are a part of God's family. And the Greek word here is oikos. It means more than just relational family. It means the social network and fabric of God's household. You're a part of that. So it goes from stranger to neighbor to family, a part of Jesus's social network. And the outcome of that is then this metaphor about this temple built on the cornerstone that is Jesus. And and the idea is that all other bricks and, and we are part of being built into this temple are shaped where they're put, their purpose is shaped by the cornerstone, Jesus. And this idea of temple is really radical in that time because the Jews from which Christianity started out of already had temples. So it was offensive almost, radical to say that we're being built into a new temple. Jews would have been like, we already got a temple, man. We don't need a new one. And it's a physical building. It's not a bunch of people. But this is radical to say that we are being built into a temple. And why that's important is a temple is a place for intimacy with God. A place where God's presence, his very being resides. And now you have to understand this in the full scheme of things. People move from strangers to neighbors to family to experiencing the transformative, peaceful presence of God. That's who we are as Christians. That's what it looks like for Jesus to make peace in our lives. If I were to sum this up in a, in, in a New Testament term, I would sum it up in hospitality. Now, when I say hospitality, you think uh, dinner parties, you think having people over, but that is not at all what the New Testament had in mind when it talked about hospitality. It was not entertainment. The word hospitality in Greek is basically just a mashup of two words, love and stranger. It's the love of stranger. So hospitality was this deep, theological, rich term that meant loving strangers like family. Loving strangers like family. And this is what Jesus came to do. He created a new, rea- a new reality, a new humanity by practicing this hospitality. I love how Rosera Butterfield in her book, The Gospel Comes with the House Key, puts this. She says, hospitality is not entertainment. Hospitality is about meeting strangers and welcoming the stranger to become a neighbor. And then knowing that neighbor well enough that if by God's power he allows this, the neighbor becomes part of God's family through repentance and belief. It has absolutely nothing to do with entertainment. 
When we as Christians decide to join in what Jesus is doing and treat strangers like family until they feel like neighbors, and if those neighbors, that, uh, ha, uh, if neighbor means doing life in proximity to us, the people who have access to our lives, then uh, we give our neighbors access so that they can see God's presence in our lives and are invited into the family of God that they don't know that they're already in yet. North City Church's mission statement, like I said, is an iteration of Mill City's mission statement, which is to love our community in the name of Jesus. Our mission statement is to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus. And we may mean much the same thing, but the way of Jesus for me, for us, means that we're looking at Jesus' life and trying to emulate his practices in our everyday life. And when we look at Jesus' life, he is all about practicing this sort of hospitality, this love of strangers like family. And in particular, if you look how he does this, we're compelled about how he does this around a table. It's amazing. One time, just read through one gospel and see who Jesus shares a meal with. It's the most practical way that Jesus treats strangers like family and disrupts the social status of what's going on there. He, one of his first meals is with a tax collector, someone on the outside, an outsider, a social outcast. He interacts with Samaritans, the Samaritan woman at the well. He is always taking strangers, people who would be perceived as foreigners, and entering into their life and pursuing them like they're his own family. And just to dispel the myth of the idealized spouse and 2.5 kids, our Savior was the one who was best at making family, and he was single and had no children. Let that sink in. We make family together as the people of God when we welcome strangers into our lives as family. The family of God supersedes our own immediate family because we're called as families to practice what our family of God does, and that's hospitality. Welcoming strangers to become neighbors, to have proximity to our lives, loving them until they feel like family. And when we do that, we experience the presence of God. We're a very place together where God dwells and lives. Now you might be thinking this and say, that, that sounds great. What, what does this actually look like? What does it actually look like to do family? When I, when I say family, it may not have the best uh, ring to it. And I would say uh, there's this helpful uh, model that was given to me in seminary by uh, two family therapists uh, who are married, so they both have the last name Ballswick, Judy, and uh, Jack, I believe, Ballswick. And they say the family of God has these components. If you put that up on screen, it's the wheel, um, Rollin. The family of God has these things because they're modeled in Jesus. Covenant, commitment, giving commitment to someone, moving towards someone. In commitment, there's sacrifice, isn't there? I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. To love is to be vulnerable to give yourself to another person. And in that vulnerability, there's an, there is a danger of pain. And we've experienced that. And God's response to that pain is grace. To be in God's family is to experience his grace. And when we don't have a good experience of commitment and covenant, what we experience is shame. And being in God's family can be redemptive and give us grace where we've experienced shame. And in addition to that, we experience empowerment in God's family. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to embolden us to be who we are created to be, to participate with him in making 
family uh, with God on this earth, on mission with him. When we don't experience that in our own families, it looks like control. It looks like disempowerment. It looks like uh, not celebrating who we are. And the outcome of this, the outcome of this commitment, this I give myself to you action, the outcome of this grace that proceeds from that vulnerability and empowerment is intimacy, is peace, is being known. The thing we crave most as humans, human beings is to be known. This is what it looks like. This is a picture of what it means to be a part of God's family. It's what we're invited into in our own families. You might be looking at wondering, what, what does this look like? And I, I, to, to get at that a little bit, I want to tell you uh, a story by someone from North City. Uh, Daniel, who, Daniel Bubna, who's a part of North City, told the story at Winter Retreat that I think so encapsulates this idea of practicing this hospitality, this love of strangers. So Daniel, a few years ago, had uh, moved to a neighborhood and was looking for a new uh, church expression and had been through uh, the navigating the church shopping thing and had been to many churches and didn't feel like it was home, didn't feel like it connected, and was, was discouraged himself from that search, but also this wondering he was having in his own life, this, the, the brokenness he was experiencing, and, and he was going to quit. He said he was tired of looking for churches, and in one night he stumbled across Mill City. I think it was just through doing church search close to his neighborhood. And he found Mill City. He said he read through the website and really resonated with what was going on. But, but even though he was drawn to what was happening at Mill City, he was overcome. He was tired of the search itself and said, well, maybe sometime we'll go there. A little later in the week, he had a conference or something, and him and his wife, Renee, were juggling schedule with kids. If you've got young kids, you know it's tough to juggle schedules like that. And one of them had a soccer practice that went long, and he was at a conference, and there was a little gap between what Renee had to be to and that he could come get the kids. So Renee, his wife, sent him this text, the kids are with some neighbors, you can pick them up here. And of course, Dan, if you ever received a text like that, you might be thinking, who did you leave our kids with? So Daniel goes to this address and realizes that it's uh, Tom and Krista who uh, have a grandson who have been on the soccer team, I believe, of one of his children. And there his kids are. He walks in not knowing what to expect at these people's house. And he walks in to find his kids being loved, being welcomed, and not wanting to leave. And Krista uh, says, please, please stay for dinner. And Daniel in his mind is going, I don't want to cook these kids dinner. I definitely want to stay. But the Minnesota nice in him is going, no, you need to leave. So he decides to leave against his better judgment. So he's getting the kids in the car, and one of his daughters says, I got to go to the bathroom. This happens. So he walks her back to the door, to Tom and Krista's door, and he says, can she please use your bathroom? And Krista and this is Krista Otteson, if you know her, you've maybe experienced this. She looks at Daniel in the eye and he said, she says, I think that's God's way of telling you you need to stay. So he ends up staying for dinner. And the most amazing thing happens is he says, uh, people start coming over for dinner, dinner, strangers, neighbors he's never met before. And in the midst of this, Daniel is feeling like, this is what I want. This is what I want from church, to be known to experience this sort of hospitality. 
And as he gets in conversation with someone across the dinner, they get talking about spirituality and church. And he says, what church do you go to? And they say, oh, we go to this church in Northeast called Mill City Church. And in that moment, Daniel's heart just exploded in his chest. And he said, oh, my goodness. And they say, what church do you go to? He says, Mill City, I guess. <laughs> He'd never even been through the door, but he experienced what God's family can be like. He experienced what it's like when a stranger becomes a neighbor, becomes a family. He experienced what it's like when someone treats a stranger like family, and then they together experience the presence of God. North City's church North City Church's mission is to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus. We want to love our neighbors in that way. Because our city needs this. Our city needs our commitment. Needs us to love them and pursue them. Our city needs grace that Jesus offers. Our city needs to know that they're a part of the family of God and they need to be welcomed in. Our city needs 100,000 more churches if at only they would be there and exist to let people know that they can be a part of the family of God. At Mill City, we've been talking about how we just simply practice the way of Jesus. And that, as I said earlier, Jesus uh, treats strangers like family by who he eats with, who he shares a meal with. I brought this fork along with me. This fork represents a meal. You know you have odd, uh, roughly about 90 meals in your month? I did this uh, experiment where I looked at all the meals I shared in my month, and I, I wondered how many of those I spent with a stranger, or how many of those I spent with someone who doesn't know they're a part of the, the family of God yet. You know how many there were? Zero. In the 90 meals I have in my day, a couple months ago, it was zero of those meals I spent treating a stranger like family. The simple thing I want to challenge you with is we don't know how many Daniels are in our neighborhood. We don't know how many Daniels are in our workplace who are just dying to experience what the family of God is like. And I wonder, what about just one of those 90 meals? Could you use one of those? Could you have that be open to practicing hospitality, the love of a stranger, letting them know that they can experience what it's like to be in the family of God. Part of the Sending Sunday, we as North City Church want to serve you communion, Mill City Church. So I invite those people at North City who are going to serve communion up. Communion is this wonderful place where we see how Jesus fulfilled this peacemaking. At the end of his ministry, he was sitting with friends and saying, this is my new covenant. This is my new practice that I give. This is my body broken for you. I give myself to you. This is my blood shed for you. It's almost as if Jesus gave us this practice of communion to remind us that our call as Christians is to treat strangers until they, like family until they become a part of the family of God. On this day, as you receive communion from North City, as we are sent out, would you experience the love and commitment from Jesus? If there is shame that's holding you back from a relationship with the people around you, would you receive God's grace that he has for you this morning? 
If you don't feel empowered to participate in this mission, if you don't feel empowered to build relationships, would you receive the power that is in this meal from Jesus? And would you know that even if you don't feel like you can have intimacy with God, even if you don't feel like he wants to know who you are, that you're wrong, would you receive the truth that you belong at this table, that you belong in the family of God? You can come forward when you're ready. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can come, grab the gluten-free bread and dip it in the juice and celebrate Jesus' sacrifice for us. If you have a note that you've written to us as North City, there's places to drop that in uh, by the communion stations as well. Come forward when you're ready.